Okay, we are going to take an overlook at it, uh, the pattern of the kingdom from Genesis 1 through 2. Uh, we're not going to read Genesis, you've already done that, but we are going to take, uh, have from your homework, take a look at parts of it. For instance, what are some of the repeated phrases? And this is audience participation. Morning, evening. Evening. How come I? Thank you. My spelling just went out the door. God said, "Let there be." Okay. What else? Okay. God called, or in the other way, named. That's an important Hebrew idea. Because the Hebrew idea is if you name something, you own it. We named our wonder dog Tally. Therefore, Tally is ours. Don't try to take her. Okay, what else? Okay. By their kind. Okay, what else? It was good. It was good. Yeah. I'm sorry. Have Have you been trying to get that in? Oh. Okay. What else? God bless them. They all sneezed. And God bless. Deanna. Okay. It was so. We, I think we have that. Oh, no. Okay. Although it's not much of a response. You just are. Yeah. Yeah. But they, there was a response to what he said. It happened. Okay. He said it's good. But there's a variation on that. Excuse me? Very good. It's not just good. And where does he say that? 
Last day. What happens on the last day? Excuse me? No. No. Man and woman. He creates man and woman after he created all the animals. And he looks and he says, this is very good. That word good means it's the best. It's beautiful. I put the lights in the sky, in the firmament. It's beautiful. But when I create man, he says, it's very beautiful. So you got to read scripture that way. You got to put inflections into it. It's not dry words. It's very good. More than what you can ever understand or comprehend. More than any other possibility. It's good. But man and women, very good. Okay? What do we learn about God when we look at this? Okay, his word has power. I want you to come up here and hold this. <laughs> we got something else put it on. Ah, chair. Obviously, I'm going back to Staples and get another one. That's a, okay. It's very good. Okay, what do we learn? God speaks. It is accomplished. There's power. And what kind of power? Those of you who have been taking the theology class, what did you learn about God? And Omnipower, all-powerful. That doesn't mean God can do anything. But he can do whatever he wants and says he wants to do. God cannot lie. There are things God can't do. So that's where it's, God can do anything he wants. No, he can't lie. But when he's made a decision, he has the power to make it so. Okay, what else? Okay, it takes pleasure. He looks down at man and woman and he says, it's very good. And this big smile comes on his invisible face. <laughs> but, you know, God is spirit. He doesn't have hands, feet, he doesn't, but you just, you, it's almost as if you can see the face of God smiling. Yeah, like whiteboards and easels. You plan and <laughs> something else. Happens. 
Yeah. He planned it out perfectly. He didn't do day one after day five or day five before day three. He planned it out in a progressive order. Josiah. Okay. Lunch, lunch is over. If this were 11 o'clock class, I could understand. But understand, did God have to create? He chose. Why did he choose? Yeah. He didn't have to create us. He didn't have to make anything. He was perfectly happy, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in love and communication and everything... You know, there, there are no issues going on. But graciously said, I'm going to make things. He did not make things because he needed things. That's another common phrase you kind of hear in evangelical. Well, God made me because he really needed me. And I look at him and say, are you kidding me? The God of this universe needed you as if something were lacking? In who he is? No. He uses you. He loves you. But he doesn't need you. Yes? Okay. It's, it's not clearly stated. But it is implied in the beginning, God, the Spirit hovers over the chaos. Let us make man in our image. Those kind of words talk about more than one person. Although we understand it's only one God and three persons. It's trying to explain that to a bunch of 13 and 14 year olds this week. I think they got it. Maybe. And if they got it, I wanted them to explain it to me because I still don't get it. <laughs> it's, it's one of the most difficult concepts. Okay, what else? Yeah, it's a unit. You see him creating units all over the place. He himself is a unit. Three persons, one God. He creates male and female. As we're going to talk about a little while, he makes marriage. Marriage is a unit. We are, we not, we are not one with creation. We are part of the creation. But you, we, right. the creation feeds us. We make sure the creation grows. It's like the guy. Uh, I, won't, I won't take time with the joke. <laughs> what else? <laughs> yeah, this the story. One day, one day, one day, one day. He, uh, he knew my father's phrase, 
Do it now. Don't wait until five minutes before the class to finish your homework. Do it now. <laughs> okay? He's quick. He does it. <laughs> See, I know, I knew one person, but now I know everybody who waited till the last minute because they're all going, oh. <laughs> okay. He's, yeah, he's quick. When he sets his mind to do something, it gets done. No procrastination. Not a bad lesson for us, right? What? What else? There's a man who took the theology class. <laughs> You're right. Ontological, he is the being, but there's an economy to the being, to the three persons in the being. What else? Yeah. Okay. you read through the Psalms, you see the psalmist says, you're good. Your goodness lasts forever. God is good. You're beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. You're good. How does that help us? This, this wasn't in the homework. I just throw in questions. <laughs> Extrapolation from God is good. How does that help us? You can trust him for anything. Yeah, it's not like Frank was saying, right? If you wake up and see the monster and he runs away and he's going to go around and murdering right? like, we can trust our creator because we know he's good and he's going to take care of us. That's good. Yeah, no, he, that's it. You can trust him. He's good. He only does that which is good. So you can trust him no matter what is going on. In his mind, for his purposes, it's good. Why 9-11? Yeah, we know some of the reasons, but behind it was a good God who had a purpose for it taking place. You see, and that gives us strength. Yep. He is a source of goodness. There are at least, eh, one of them maybe. I, f I found at least three more. It's creative. One of my questions when I get before him, after why, is how come you made the duckbill platypus? <laughs> 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 no, no, no. 
<laughs> okay, but it, he is he is the absolute designer. Yeah, that's my second question. Why the spiders? <laughs> we got done without them. Um, but yeah, think of the variety. He designed every one of them. The ultimate artist. Uh, I follow some of you on Facebook. I follow others on Facebook. And periodically they'll show these beautiful sunsets and sunrises and lake scenes and mountain scenes. And we all go... Oh, or we stand, if you ever stood at the lip of Grand Canyon and took one step back and you go, wow, amazing. Because he's good, he's an artist, artiste. You can't outdo him, but you can copy him. In fact, all art is really copying his creativity. John. Yep, and that's part of the creativity. You don't build something unless you want to use it for something. I took wood shop. I'm horrible at wood shop. We were supposed to build something. By the time I got done, I put two slashes in and made it a uh, cigarette holder. Because <laughs> that's about the best I could do out of it, okay? That was not the purpose, but when he plans, it is his purpose. It is finished that way. Okay. You need a hint? Want to play hangman? He rested. Okay, we're going to get to that one in a further question. Okay, it's a what? Okay, big theological word. He is sovereign. I probably misspelled it. That's why I have spell check. Come on. He's sovereign. He owns it all. He controls it all. Everything operates by his power. You know, we talk about the universe holding together. Now, he holds it together. The moment he decides, I'm through with this universe, it just flies off or it destroyed. He's sovereign. Every atom he takes care of, watches over, it happens. Every, there's no atom outside of his sovereignty. That's mind-blowing. I mean, I had trouble raising... Six, seven kids. Six, we forgot one. So, <laughs> I can't control them. <laughs> he controls he controls everything. Absolutely. What's the other the other side of this? Well, that goes with sovereignty and creativity, all that. Prov he Providence is our way of explaining his working. Okay? He is eternal. 
Think about that for about five minutes and you'll go absolutely crazy because we don't have the capacity to figure out being eternal. We are so trapped in time, one second after another second. We can't, he knows the beginning from the end. He knew your life before he ever said, in the beginning, God created. He knew your whole life. He knows your end day. He knows the end of history. It's as plain to him now as yesterday is plain to us. That's an amazing God. That's why you don't take his name in vain. That's why sin is always a cosmic treason. It's against the greatest living being that we could possibly know. He's eternal. That's why he could create things out of nothing. In the beginning, God. He says, light be, and poof, it happens. Actually, the idea is not light be, it's light be. If I had Charleston Heston's voice, I could really do it. <laughs> but he yells, he's, he, he commands, and it takes place. Out of nothing. That's what part of what Genesis 1 is trying to get us to see. The greatness, the beauty, and the power of the God who has created everything. Okay. Question three was, what do these verses tell us about God's creation? And we've seen some of this already. You didn't do that question. You have something else than what we did. It's orderly. It's good. He didn't have to do it. You know, here it is. As it was mentioned on the video, there's no separation between material and immaterial. Uh, other religions say what really is important is the soul, the inner person. Uh, Hindus, others like that. Material doesn't matter. Some of the Greek gods and philosophies were eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you may die. Do anything you want with your body because what's really important is that you train the mind to think. No. God says it's both. It's a unit. And they're all important. Even some movements within Christianity have fallen into that kind of a dualism. Pietistic movement. What's really important is that you train and discipline your soul. So what if the body deteriorates? Now, all of it is part of creation. All of it is important. Okay? And I think the other point that I think, you know, God freely made this. No, no inner compulsion. No other reason than it seemed good to a good God to make a world and put us in it. Especially our, our first parents. Okay, so what are we told about human beings?
Okay. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> I wasn't listening. I have selective hearing. My, I did that to my kids all the time. What did you say? <laughs> you didn't say that, did you? No. What about human beings? We are not eternal. In fact, in many ways, we're the opposite of God. We don't create. We simply take what God has made, rearrange it. Okay. Yeah, we wouldn't, co, co-regents may be a little bit too hard, harsh. Okay, co-regents mean we're equal, okay? A word that's usually used is vice-regents. You have the president and you have the Vice president. Doesn't mean he's the president of vice. It means he's second in command, okay? But we are, we are his representative. And the, the, the idea of this word is we are his representatives and we carry all the authority that he has. That's the sense of, of what he's made us. What else? Okay, not good to be alone. Although that comes in the next section, which we haven't got to be yet. Okay. Oh, you have to forget my spelling. I do. We are the pinnacle. If did you did you uh, count the words and the verses in that chapter? It's a good way to do a Bible study. Sixth day has twice as many as any other day. That tells you something about how important that sixth day is. And the section about two human beings, man and woman, has half, which means all those animals don't match up. All 30,000 spiders do not match up with male and female. See, that's the message that's coming across. We are the pinnacle of the creation, which is why he said, very good, yes. Okay. W with a slash means with. That's how I got through school doing those kind of little things. <laughs> we were created to have a pure relationship with God. Okay. Okay. We're called to worship. 
once you understand the uh, a correct understanding of God, then you begin to understand that he, is, he alone is worthy of all an individual's worship. Okay. What else? Okay. We, we are created to work. So even to retire, you go back to work. You just retire. For, when, when you retire, you are retired. You are re, <laughs> reset for something else. So that's, uh, yeah, we, we are created. And work is good because it's created by a good God. Yes. Yeah, um, human beings are given the responsibility to oversee. And, you know, as, as we can know, you, you can match different, brand, different types of animals and you create, or another animal is created. Our Itali, the wonder dog, is uh, Maltese and Chinese crested. Never heard of those two being put together before, but that's what she is. That's why she's a wonder dog. Come on. <laughs> okay, you create, and you can, in fact, I saw a picture of one, uh, German Shepherd, three brands, and it looks like a little teddy bear. Saw that on Facebook. Everything true is on Facebook, right? <laughs> Okay, we call that, we're, we're made in his image. He said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. There's two ways you can understand that. One, it's, it's a, Hebrew, Hebrew, a Hebrew way of speaking the Hebrews have a way of saying one thing and then either adding on to it or saying a contrast. Train up a child in the way he shall go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Okay? One amplifies the other. In this case, you look at image or likeness amplifies image because they're two different words. And that has been the predominant understanding within the Reformed Evangelical uh, viewpoint. We are his image. We are complementary to that. We are his likeness. The other way that some have looked at it is the two, there are two separate ideas. There is the image, which is from a Hebrew word that means a resemblance, a representative, a and there is his likeness, which means a pattern. And he says, we are not only created in his image, resemblance, 
but his likeness. And some will say, we all have the image. The question is, do we have the likeness? And I think you can almost say something about both of them. Because when you get to the New Testament, Paul will talk about growing up into the likeness of Christ. He doesn't use the word for image. Okay? That's two ideas. You can, you can banter those back and forth. But the idea is that in many ways we are exactly like God, except he doesn't have a body. He's not stuck in time. And some of his other in... Uh, some of his attributes, okay? But what are some of the attributes we have animals don't? The ability to think and have reason. We can think and reason. Tally the wonder dog likes to go out at 3 a.m. in the morning. I have not been able to reason with her. <laughs> 3 a.m. in the morning is not a great time to get up. <laughs> Except Tally the Wonder Dog. She always gets out of her cage. No. <laughs> no, you're right. There, there are limitations that we don't have. They do. Yeah, animals know. We know that we know. A uh, great philosopher says, I know that I am because I think. Paraphrase. Okay? It's different. Animals you can train. But they don't think through and come to that conclusion on their own. People come to their own weird conclusions all on their own. Okay? <laughs> Animals you train. What else? The ability to fellowship with God. Okay. That's another one. Just like the triune God fellowships within himself. We do. The ability to go against him? Instinct. Instinct? Okay, yeah. I really would like to do that, but I shouldn't. <laughs> okay. What else? Love. Yeah. Animals may love us because we feed them. <laughs> okay. Or we take them for a walk, or we let them out at 3 a.m. in the morning. But we can love and we can love people who are unlovely. We know when somebody comes in the house whether or not they're good people. Because Tally tells us. <laughs> okay? She just picks up on it. Now, none of you, she, she's never said anything about any of you. So, whew. But that is a possible, that's something we can do. Animals are not made in God's image. We are. Okay. We also know morality. We say good. And good is a relative term. When I look at Tally and I say sit, and she sits, I say, good dog. Now, if I looked with one of my kids and said sit, and they sat, I wouldn't say, well, that was good. <laughs> no. They're different degrees of good. We are people who know good and bad. We know. It almost, 
It's built into who we are. We have a morality. It's, uh, it's one of the reasons why people don't like Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Especially 1 and 2. What's it tell them? They're accountable. We have a creator. We're accountable. And we know when we do something wrong. We're going to have to answer for it. And that's why they try to get rid of Genesis 1 and 2. That's it. We're, there's morality. Okay. Anything else? Excuse me? We have dominion. Ecclesiastes 3, God has set eternity in our hearts and we do not know until we know him. That's, that's the sense of it. Yeah. With eternity we know um, we know that life isn't all there is. Although some philosophers, would, again, Epicureans, eat, drink, and, uh, and party because tomorrow you'll die. Loose translation of the original Greek. <laughs> but the whole idea is we know that there's a judgment coming we know that there is an end we know there's an end to our life this Tuesday I did a funeral service for a 93 year old lady a week ago Monday she fell down in her kitchen hit the back of her head on the side massive blood to the brain she went unresponsive. Four days later, she died. Never came out of it. They gave her a 1% opportunity. Um, we knew one day she was going to die. We just didn't know how she was going to die. See? That's the sense we have that within us. Animals really don't know it. Plant world doesn't know it. If they did, you'd hear all the stalks of corn yelling out come October. <laughs> don't cut me down! <laughs> but they don't. See? That's, that's part of the beauty of what it is to be human. Okay, let's go on. Seventh day. What does Genesis 1 have? And 1 into 2. And I will tell you, this is another good lesson when you're reading and studying the Scripture. Chapter divisions were not in the original. They were put in about the 1400s sometime because people were beginning to read the Bible and they wanted they cut it up. Well, sometimes where they put chapter divisions, it really the, it disrupts the flow. Verses came in about the 1500s with the Reformation because all of a sudden they were preaching from the Bible and it was easier to have verses to say to the congregation, well, let's turn to Galatians 5:16, and you can find it easily. If you really want a great Bible, get a reader's Bible. It only has on the corner... Uh, the chapters, no verses, and you get the flow of the text because they were written as a single document. 
with no divisions. So, but here, well, somebody decided the seventh day ought to be separated from the sixth. And that's not very good. What about seventh day? God rested. What in the world do you think that means? Yeah, did he put on his jogging suit, lay back in his uh, lazy boy, hit the switch, and just go on back and say, ah, I'm finished. He observed what he made, and he said it was good. Well, this is... This is the difficult part. It was like with the Sabbath, like you know, you could only do like works of was it necessity, mercy, and something else. Like that's all he's done. He's like alive, he's merciful, and like that's his basic stuff. Like he doesn't like work, like putting his mind to all the hard work that he did with creation. You know, having to call forth like all these species and whatnot. So he he was he 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 stopped working in the sense that he had finished what he wanted to do, and he was looking over it. It's like what I do with my lawn. When I finish cutting it, I go sit on my chair in the front porch, rock back and forth and go, my, what a good boy was I. <laughs> Look at that job. That, that, that's a great, okay. But that's the idea of rest is not he stopped doing anything because the moment God stops doing anything, everything disintegrates. He is a sustainer. Constantly. But he sat back and said, This is very good. This is great. Wow. Okay. Uh, Jennifer. Yeah. You notice, seventh day never has a morning and an evening. Or an evening and a morning. That's what I should say. It just keeps on going. We are living in the seventh day. And he's still looking at his creation, sustaining it, doing what he wants to do. And he's saying, it's good. It's good. I don't have to remake anything. It's good. I have to transform a few things. And I've got to do some repair work on a few things. But I don't have to. As we're going to see, it would... He would have been very just at Genesis 7 or 8 saying, poof, everything's gone. That would, be, that would be the end of the Bible with the first sin. I said, no, I got another, I have my plan as part of my plan. See, I already got you into next week, or not next week's, next lesson. Okay, he rested, he said it's good. Yeah. Imagine God enjoying what he makes. Your homework assignment, should you uh, want to accept it, is Zephaniah 3.17. It says, God rejoices over us. He exalts in his people. Rejoicing means he praises. He sings songs of wonder and praise and adoration. 
And then that word exalt, the last part of that verse says, he dances over his people. That's what God does in the midst of his people. This morning, when you were gathered here, God was dancing over you. Why? He's rested. You're very good. Especially only because you're in Christ. We'll see that next session. But that's how he, that's how he looks at you. You get up in the morning, you get up Monday morning, oh man, I gotta go back to work. Uh, or yesterday was a long day. Do I really have to do anything? Yeah. Because God rejoices, dances over me. That's a good word. We almost could leave it there. However, we're not done. Okay. What else about that? Okay, tuck that in with Hebrews 4, 9 to 11, which says, So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. There is a rest that has been inaugurated in Christ that we are called to come into and then we are called to live in that rest. Just as Israel was rescued from Egypt, they were rescued by God's grace. Take the blood of the lamb, put it on the sides of the lentil on the top, this, and when you did it, you, you did, made sure you'd had enough of the blood. So it rolled down the sides. You put it on the lentil and it drops down to the thresh, uh, threshold. And what do you have? You have the sign of a cross. Amazing, isn't that? Okay. He, he rescues them, takes them through the Red Sea, brings them out in the desert, makes a covenant with them. You are my, you are my people, I am your God. Do what I tell you to do. And the problem is they don't do it. They continually rebel. And that generation dies in the wilderness. Anyone 20 years and older. That would be most of the people in this room. Zachary would not make Zachary would make it to the promised land. Yes. <laughs> this is. That's the covenant. That's the rest he calls we rest in Christ, his work, what he's done. And actually, that's what our rest on Sabbath is all about. We remember what God has done for us in Christ. And we rejoice and we focus life all around that resting. What happens when you don't rest? You forget, okay? You no, not just sleep. You, you, yeah, you go to the, well, depending on whether or not you're in Christ, it may be restful and it may not. Okay. Have, have any of you ever worked 40 days straight? Yeah, sometimes work demands. What do you feel like? Oh, worn out. We, we had a guy remodeling our house who worked for 58 days without resting. He was proud of it. He goes, yes. And I'm, I'm looking at him saying, 
you aren't working worth worth spit. Because after those days, you can't do it. See, we were all meant, and, and notice the pattern. Six days you work, one day you rest. That's always a pattern. That's why taking away blue laws has been so detrimental to our country. I'm preaching. Because people rest. People don't rest anymore. Things don't rest. Your car has to rest. Either that or it goes to the mechanic. Even though it goes to the mechanic anyway. Okay? That's the pattern. Six days you work. The seventh day you rest. You take time to refocus who, whose you are, who you are, what he's called you to be. You, time to, you, you take the time to catch up on the Bible reading you didn't do during the week because you were so busy. But you're basking in how good God is. That's the rest. Okay. What else? And it, it, is a, it is a striving for us. Because it's so easy to fill up Sunday. Or the day of rest. Uh, Sunday's normally never been a day of rest. Being retired, I have that luxury. But when I was working and I did at least a Sunday school lesson and preached and talked with people afterwards. By 2 o'clock they threw me in the bedroom and said, don't come out until you're civil. Okay? But when I was in a bigger church and I preached twice and I did Sunday school and all sorts of things. Sunday is not that day of rest. So Friday or Thursday became my day of rest. But I could fill that up real easy if I wanted to. Mabel's calling you and she has a hangnail. Will you pray for her? It's my day of rest. Somebody else pray for her. <laughs> Please. You know. We, we can fill in that time. We are called to enjoy one day a week. How you do it is, well, I think we're getting the Ten Commandments and we'll deal with it there. But how you deal your Sabbath, there's a different ways of looking at it. Yes. His yoke is easy. Come unto me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you Rest. That doesn't mean you won't have any functions or you won't have hard work. I didn't know how hard life was until I became a Christian. And all of a sudden I had to battle things I never wanted to battle before. But there's a rest in him that's beyond that. Take my yoke upon you. Okay, let's take a look at Genesis, the uh, second chapter, beginning of verse 4. Again, as the uh, video said, this is not a separate creation account. This is what the Hebrews love to do. They give you one story and then they add a second story that amplifies the first story. You'll see this when we read the books, or at least part of the books of First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles. First and second kings deal with all the kings. Chronicles only deals with the good kings of the southern kingdom, 
called Judah. Why? They're amplifying the good part of their history. Where First Kings is saying, this is our dirty laundry. I mean, this is the stuff we don't want anyone else to know, but here it is, because this is the way it was. Okay. Same way in this account. The first account dealt with all of creation. The second account focuses in upon human beings and God created. Again, how's he started out with, he starts, uh, he starts it out by saying, these are the generations, the, a normal division of the book. Wherever you see that phrase, you've entered a new division of the book. And again, the, the Hebrew poetry. Of the heavens and the earth when they were created, turns it around. In the day that the Lord made the heavens and earth. Okay. And it is poetry. It's even written as poetry. And so you understand, this is not literally that he made it in one day. Some people say that and say, well, you see the contradiction? Genesis 1 says six days. Genesis 2 says one day. Where do we take it? This is poetry. He's just saying this is in the completion of when he made the heavens and the earth. Okay. And in that, you see some uh, important things. When you get down, I don't, let me, let me try this. Did you notice something different about how God describes himself between those two chapters? I mean, we, we kind of just zip right through because we've heard it a hundred thousand times. How does he describe himself in the first chapter? God. It's a Hebrew name, Elohim, which can, can be translated gods. It gives you the idea that there's one God with has three persons. But it also means the strong God. And a strong God creates. And a strong God is able to create all that we see and all that there is. Do a quick scan of the second chapter. And what do you see? Okay. And and how do they spell Lord? Not L-O-R-D. Yeah. God here again is Elohim. This is why you read the prefix of all the books that you read. And in the prefix of your Bible, it will tell you how they delineate the names of God. Lord is a Hebrew word. Y-H-W-H. Hebrew does not use vowels. They had to be added on later. And we think that how they pointed it as a vowel is Yahweh. That is Yahweh. It's a sacred name. It's a name by which he unveiled himself to Moses. Who shall I say sends me? And God from the burning bush says, Y-H-W-H. Yahweh. Okay. Yahweh 
This was so sacred to the Hebrew that they wouldn't write it. Sometimes when they're writing, they simply put a line and you knew it's supposed to be Yahweh. Or if they did write it, they did either one of two things. They either cleaned the pen after each letter. And I, I mean a thorough cleaning. This, this is dishwasher cleaning. This is not taking a Kleenex and wiping the end. Emptied all the ink, made sure it was absolutely almost brand new. Or they got a new pen. You imagine doing 39 books with Yahweh used over and over again? People, Bic Corporation had a minefield right there. Because they would sell more pens than they ever knew. But it was so sacred they wouldn't take it. So in order for us to understand it in English, it's all in caps. Capital L, small cap, O-R-D. Do you remember what Yahweh means? You should have had this in the theology class. Well, that's a, that's a phrase. Yahweh, the, the, yeah, but that's his name is one, talking about that. I am that I am. Which said, I'm everything. I'm self-sufficient. Quite frankly, I don't need you. <laughs> okay? I am. I, I have always existed. I exist now. And I will always exist. I am eternal. It encapsulates a lot of the qualities we know of God. And all of a sudden, in the second chapter... Before the name is even introduced in history. Because it was never used up until Exodus 3 with the burning bush. Or is it 2? One of those. I know it's not 23. All of a sudden, Moses says, The I am, Elohim, did this. It's a covenant name. You get now all of a sudden Moses has introduced into the whole creation sentence. This is your covenant God who has entered into a covenant with you, the strong one who is the I am. That makes it even more serious than simply the strong one. It makes it more more vital. Okay. Let's talk about relationships. What's the relationship between God and humans? Excuse me? Okay. Image bearer? Unobstructed? Yeah. There's called to be obedience. You could have any plant, tree in this whole garden. Just don't eat this one. Okay. What else? He's ruler. Covenant maker.
And actually here he begins with a very specific covenant. It is called the covenant of works. Any tree is yours. Just not one. Tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from it. He wasn't tempting them. He was testing them. He was saying to them, in order to be with me, you have to be perfect. The same thing Jesus said. You must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. He's saying, there's this one thing I'm withholding from you. Don't eat from it, and everything will be okay. Again, we get back into the third chapter. You can't help to do this. And Eve is the first one who picks off the fruit. <laughs> but Adam ate it freely. And that's why he's blamed. And all of a sudden, you're still in the covenant of works. The, the covenant is still applicable because no covenant can be destroyed. The problem is, none of us can fulfill it, except one. And that's why Jesus didn't all of a sudden appear at 30 years old on Good Friday, get thrown on a cross. He lived perfect life for the 30 to 33 years that he did, because he was fulfilling the covenant of works on our behalf. Are we saved by the covenant of works? Sure. Just not us. It's Jesus. See, you're right back to Genesis 2 when you think about these things. You can't help but think about the cross and come back to Genesis 2. What else? We're special. Oh, I know a lot of people who say that. Boy, am I special. And you better treat me that way. I know a lot of kids that say that. Okay. That's our relationship with God. How about the relationship between men and women? This is pre, pre-fall, pre-chapter 3. Okay. They were naked and un ashamed well yeah we all (laughs) all the men know that (laughs) yeah and why would you say that Okay. And what's the, what's Adam's response? Whoa, Whoa man. <laughs> and that's where you got woman. Okay. <laughs> and they are. He took all the animals and brought them before Adam. He had them named. And he looked at them and said, no, none of them work. Not the duckbill platypus. Not Tally the Wonder Dog, not the deer, the sheep, the goats, not 30,000 spiders. None of them work. 
So I have to go and create out of man a woman. Actually, these, the, the word for man is ish in Hebrew. And the word for woman is isha, coming from man. So that's, that's where those, those two correlate. Um, yeah, what else about them? Life from life. Yeah. And the way he made a man, or all human beings really, takes the dust of the earth, forms it into the shape that he wants, breathes into it life, and it becomes, what's it say? A living soul. That is, a living unit. Again, we're back to the idea you don't separate material from immaterial, flesh from spirit. They're, they're intricately bound. That is part of the difficulty of death. Because at death, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, but you're absent from the body, which is part of you. That's the beauty of the resurrection. When the resurrection, you will be given a new body and you will become whole. Anyone who dies until Christ comes back is only partially there. And they're looking forward to that resurrection because then they're whole again. I've said that every time Peg goes on a trip. Oh, I, my better half is left. <laughs> oh, thank you. You tell her that. <laughs> I, really, I really need all the brownie points I can get. <laughs> but the whole idea is we are a living unit. And that's part of the horror of death. Okay? But you, they're a gift of men. Why are they a gift of men? There is one particular word I'm looking for that's in that passage. Helper. Okay. If you're a King James fan, it's the word help meet, which means co-partner. Strong helper, co-partner, one who compliments who you are. In Genesis 1, it says, male and female, he made them. He made man, male and female. Genesis 2 talks about he made female to be a complement to the male. That there is something lacking in a male that needs a female. I have no idea what that is. No. <laughs> For instance, uh, I don't know if this is a part of the fall or not. Six, six months in utero for every male child, an enzyme is released that hampers the flows of thought in the brain from the left to the right and the right to the left. So men are linear thinkers because they've got to go up, over, and down. Doesn't, help, doesn't happen in the female. They're global thinkers. That's why it's dangerous to ride with a woman in a car because they see everything. <laughs> Men focus in upon the road. <laughs> but they, they see, 
Yeah. <laughs> I, I met one of those women drivers on the way over. No. <laughs> they see the whole picture at one time. And so they can tell you why something will or will not work. But say, well, how do you know? I don't know. Give me a couple of days. I'll figure it out. Because they have to kind of put it together. Men will look at a picture and say, I have no idea what's going on. Give me a couple of days and I'll get it put together. A couple of days later, they come back with the same reasons. Different ways. We're compliments. So you listen to your wife because usually she's right the first time. And if she's not, she's still right the first time. <laughs> no. You, they're, they're complimentary. They match us men in a way that we could never live without them. We match up with them in a way they couldn't live without us. They need to be there. That's why you need friends who are male and female. That's why Genesis 2 says, and he gave the woman to the man, and he said, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And the quote after that is, and a man shall leave his father and mother and cling unto his wife, and the two shall become one unit. Because you got two halves, two parts that need each other to make a marriage work, to make a unit, to make a relationship. I always like the idea that the man will leave the father and mother. I always thought a wedding ought to have the groom walking down, being escorted by the mother and father. And they get down here and they say, I'm, I'm, we're going to give our son to that lady. We don't want him anymore. Get out of here. Okay? I have yet to find a bride that would, would go with that. I'm working. Someday I'll find a bride who says, yeah, that's biblical. <laughs> Jennifer. Yeah. That does. It also shows the whole focus and the importance of covenant. A marriage ceremony is a covenant ceremony. You are making it between the two people, between you and God between you and the family, and you and the community. And because you have to get a marriage certificate, you and the state. And it is a, it's an agreement. Um, symbolizing Christ and his church. The covenant he has with his church to nourish, care for. make. It's one of the things that makes divorce so difficult. Is because you broke, a covenant has been broken. Whether you did it or somebody else did, a covenant has been broken. And there's that natural grieving that goes through, not only because the covenant is broken, but because of the pain and the hurt that it gives to individuals. That's why God says, I hate divorce. Because of the grief and the pain that it gives to people. Especially if it happens with his own people. Now, there are reasons for divorce, and you can read about that in the New Testament, but you have to see how serious it is. No-fault divorce was one of the worst things that ever happened. I'm preaching again. I'm sorry. But that's, like, that's the idea. 
And that's the relationship between a man and a woman. Uh, how about the relationship between humans and creation? Stewardship, okay. We have a responsibility to take care of the world around us. Now, how that's done is open to interpretation. Right now, there's some people in North, North Dakota who are saying, see, ya? we told you, you put this pipeline through, it's going to break, and we got oil all around the ground. If you hadn't heard that there was a leak in the pipeline. But they also went out and fixed it right away. So it works. We have a responsibility for how we take care of the world around us. Cleveland should not have a river that, that will ignite into fire. <laughs> Which happened a couple decades ago. That's just not good stewardship. Um, that's, why we, we, that's why we recycle. Right? It's not because the city says you have to. It's because God says you do it. Because it's part of creation covenant and a creation. Well, there are some questions at the end that you can think about because we are at the end of our time. I know it's past three, but I, I took time. This is like hockey. You know, I took time from when we had to fix this thing and added it to the end. Or maybe like soccer, where you get, the, you get the extra minutes added on. Okay. Uh, th th again, the summary. The, the key is, the scripture has one, one solid person to whom it looks, Jesus Christ, and one message. The kingdom of God. And the garden is the first indication of the kingdom. It's God's people, Adam and Eve, representative for us all, and if you have problems with them being representative, then you have problems with the American democracy. Okay? I mean, that's where it comes from. They were the best of all possible people to represent us. And as we see in a few weeks, they didn't quite make it. God's place, the Garden of Eden, that's the first temple. You realize that? That's the first temple was a garden. And again, you go back to Revelation 21 and 22, and you see the last temple where God takes up his residence. And finally, God's rule and kingship. Perfect relationship with God. Perfect rule. Everything works out real well until that fateful day when like Snoopy on his doghouse with his typewriter. It was a dark and stormy night, and a snake entered. And after that, the story is there. Okay? That's what we're going to take a look at. Chapter 3. You can also look at 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. Because they, all, they too are images that are used throughout the rest of the scriptures that you ought to know about. Give you a point. You have the Tower of Babel. They build a temple of one language trying to reach out and be God. God causes it into uh, confusion and many languages that they cannot understand themselves. Many languages are made. Fast forward to Pentecost. Many languages come, the Holy Spirit 
falls on the people. They speak in those languages, and all of a sudden you become one people who are moving toward God. You see the parallels? This is what you are looking at when you're looking at studying the scriptures. Let's close with prayer. Father, I thank you for the responsiveness of your spirit at work within us and the responsiveness of those who have done their homework and who have been thinking and pondering this. And Thank you. You give to us new things to ponder. And it's... Being in your word is like digging in a coal, uh, diamond mine. The more you dig, the more diamonds you find, and the richer the uh, results of that digging. So we thank you for helping to show us some of the richness that is there in those two small chapters. Now I pray that you'd help us as we study that third chapter and see the richness that is in that one as well. And thank you, Lord, that you will take what has been said that is of you and by your spirit you would in, implant it within our hearts and our minds that it would grow and it would be good growth that would help edify and nourish us to be your people in a world that's hurting. For we ask it in Jesus' name and everyone said, Amen. Amen.